Now, obviously, last week we began our, our Advent celebration. We've talked about this. Advent just simply means coming or arrival. And uh, it's, this is something that we've always kind of done around here. And it's just an opportunity for us to kind of quiet our hearts together during this season to really remember Jesus and what he's done and what he's come to do in our hearts and in our lives. And so today, obviously, is going to be our second uh, Sunday of Advent. And uh, I'm really excited to share that with you. So if you would, let's go ahead and play the video. light the candle of hope. Now we light the candle for the second Sunday in Advent. This is the candle of peace. As we prepare for the coming of Jesus, we remember that Jesus is our hope and our peace. It says in Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 through 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And from John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today together to celebrate you and to thank you for all the countless blessings you have given us. We pray for peace in our lives and in our world today. We ask you to remove any stress and anxieties and soothe our hearts. Thank you. We ask for guidance to look to you for strength and comfort in your name. Today we choose to put our faith in you and only you. We pray for those who are lost, who do not see you. We pray for them to see your light in their darkness, to rebuke all of the lies, and to focus on you and only you. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ, together as we continue to grow our bond with you and each other. Oh, Heavenly Father, our thank yous are just not enough. We are forever indebted to you. Help us lead a life of purpose and to follow the walk that you have established. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. Great job. Awesome. So good. All right. Well, if you haven't picked up on this by now, um, you, you, you probably aren't paying real close attention, but I like this time of year. And, uh, you know, I've talked to pastors before and they're like, you know, one of the hardest things is, is like, it's Christmas time. I got to do a Christmas message or a Christmas series or whatever. I'm like, yeah, that is not an issue for me. Like, I look forward to this time. I look forward to the season. I look forward to celebrating. I look forward to sharing um, the series or the series, uh, Christmas series that God has placed on my heart. And this year's no exception. Um, as you might imagine, if you know me again, it's, it's maybe a little different, but at the same time, I know it's going to be. Um, uh, hopefully something that God is going to use to really minister to all of us. And the title for the series, for the Christmas series this year, is called The Exchange. The Exchange. And, um, and just so you know, I, I said this before, but um, John Gardner 
does all of our graphics. He actually does more than that. And he's here this morning. And so I know he's going to be mad at me, but I just don't care anymore. Um, John, you do just such an amazing job. And I know you do not do it for praise of man, but at the same time, you're going to get the praise of this man. I thank you so much for all of your hard work, all that you do for our church. We miss you uh, there in Colorado Springs, you know, and we still love them anyway. Um, but they came up to visit this morning, and it is so glad to see both you and Nicole. But he does all of these things and just does an absolutely amazing job. And so, John, thank you so much for all that you do. Let's give, yeah, thank you. Love them. So thank you so much. So the, the, the title for the message is The Exchange, is The Exchange. Now, I know this is a little different now than it used to be, but, but I think there's enough of us of a certain age group in the auditorium this morning that will remember a little bit about this. But, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, and even as, especially more as a teenager, um, you know, you started to kind of at Christmas time, you know, it was always fun to, to give gifts, but let's be honest, it was also kind of fun to get them. Um, and so you were all excited about maybe the gifts that you were going to get and th- all those sort of things. But maybe there was maybe somebody in your family who, who maybe, and again, this is more maybe teenager age, that, that didn't quite maybe understand what was actually like, what a teenager might really want for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like they, they didn't right, always understand these things. And so they would go out and they would find, you know, this gift. And you always are kind of like, oh, dear. What did aunt so-and-so get me this year, you know, or what did grandma or grandpa get me this year? And you open it up and man, you'd be so excited and you open it up and there before you was the ugliest Christmas sweater you have ever seen in your life. Okay, no, 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 amen. No, I, you know, I, I, it cracks me up because I remember like when, when just maybe, I don't know, 10 years ago or something, it's was like, oh, we're going to have an ugly Christmas sweater party. You know, like that was a new idea. I've been getting ugly Christmas sweaters for years. But I do remember like when this began, remember when this began to happen? When you would go to Target or you'd go to the store and they would ask some magical questions that you need to still heed today. Would you like a gift receipt? Okay, let me help you with this. The answer is yes, always yes, a thousand times yes. Because I remember at times I would open something and it wouldn't be quite right. Or even here's the thing, this would happen as well. Like like I would would maybe ask for a particular thing and, and maybe you'd get it and it wouldn't fit quite right. Or it was the wrong size or something like that. But they would say, if they'd say, you know what, don't worry, there's a gift receipt. And so what would typically happen is maybe a day, maybe the day after Christmas, maybe a couple days after Christmas, you would then go to the store. Remember this? Okay, some of you remember this very vividly. And you had the item, maybe again, maybe it wasn't so nice, maybe it, would, maybe it didn't fit quite right or whatever, and you had your gift receipt. And you would go and, and you would go up to the individual and you'd maybe pick something else out and you would do the exchange. And I remember walking up and I would, I would have the item that was not so great. And they would always, and I had the item I wanted basically. And the lady or the, the guy behind the counter would say, do you have a gift receipt? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And they'd take it and the exchange would take place. Christmas is a special time. And I would say after Christmas is a time of the exchange. As we look at this series together over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of look at this idea of the exchange. We're going to look at this idea as far as what Jesus came to do for us. Because as we're going to get into the message this morning, you're going to see that our Father and our God is still a God of exchanges. He's still a God that comes and says, you know what, what you have that might not be so great, don't you worry. Don't you worry. Because I'm going to exchange it for something amazing. We're going to be in Isaiah 61. This is going to be our text for the series as we look at this. We're going to be in Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. And, but before we do, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time and this morning. And Father, as we unpack these things this morning, I God, I pray that you would just open our hearts. Father, I pray that if there's any hearts right now online or here that are closed to what you want to do, Father, I pray right now you would begin that prying open process in their hearts and in their lives because I father I believe that you want to do something very special in the hearts and the lives of people that are here and online 
So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just become, just come right now and just begin that work in us. And that, Father, you would help us during this moment. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Isaiah 61. We'll start with verse number one. This is what it says, Isaiah. We're going to get to some, some context in just a minute. But, but Isaiah 61 says this. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and the prisoners will be freed. Verse number three. He has, or excuse me, verse, uh, continue verse two. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Now verse 3. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyful blessing instead of mourning, and festive praise instead of despair. I want to talk a little bit as we kind of get into this about kind of as Isaiah is writing this. Um, it's kind of an interesting passage of Scripture. It's, it's a passage of Scripture that Luke records that Jesus stands up as he begins his earthly ministry and he quotes uh, Isaiah 61. He does that in Luke 4. He kind of comes up and basically what he's saying is he's, he's sharing these words and he's, he kind of brings these forth and he basically says, hey, what, what you have just heard or what the, the prophecy has just been fulfilled before you, which basically means I am the man that Isaiah was talking about thousands of years ago. I am the one that will come, that will do all of these things, and not just to Israel, but instead to the entire world that will accept it. But I don't know if you saw this, but there was, there was such an exchange that began to take place here. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to do some things. I'm going to change some things. I'm going to bring some things. There's some insteads that I'm going to bring about. And here's the thing, when we look at the original context of when Isaiah 61 was written, it was really not just written to, to the world as a whole, but originally it was written to the captives of Israel in Babylon. They had been there about not quite 70 years at this point. And basically they have been there for, for that time. Basically Israel has sinned and God had told them from the very beginning, listen, if you will follow my commands and you will do as I say and you will love me and, and all these things, then you will stay in this land forever. But God says, listen, if you don't, judgment will come. And about 70 years before this, judgment does come in the form of the Babylonians. And they come and they, they take uh, these individuals captive and they just destroy everything. Jerusalem is laid waste. And so here these people are, and they've been crying out in captivity for God to hear them. They have been crying out that, God, you would come and that you would rescue them. And they would turn, they've kind of, in this point, they turn back to God. And they're saying, God, how long will it be? But really, they're in a place of, of hopelessness. They're in a place of, of longing to go home. But the problem is, is their home is completely destroyed. And they've heard about it. Some of them may have even seen it happen when they were really, really young, and then maybe heard it from parents or grandparents. But I want to kind of give you some ideas here about this and to really help us to understand that and to know really what we're going to be focusing in on this morning. I want to start by looking at something simple but something very profound, and that is I want us to look at the ash. In Isaiah 61, God tells us that I will take and I will take and I will take that, the ashes and I will instead give you a beautiful crown. But I want to understand what this ash really was, both to us today, but also way back to his hearers all the way in Isaiah 61. So to understand that, we need to look at what these individuals were facing. What they were in, in, in kind of their, their, their context and how they were hearing this and where they're at in that place of, of despair and hopelessness. See, their home has been, had been ransacked. It had been destroyed. We see kind of what happens in a very nice little capsule in 2 Chronicles 36. We're going to read this together. 2 Chronicles 36, starting with verse 17. So this is what it says. So, so the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and the infirm. God handed all of them over. To Nebuchadnezzar, the king took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the place 
uh, palace of the king and his officials. Look here, look at verse 19. Then his army burned the temple of God. They tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants to the king and his sons until the kingdom of Persia came to power. Now verse 21. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. This is their home. This is their family. It's interesting that they, we see this concept where everything is burned. Everything is destroyed. So even there's this desire to go home. Even there's this, 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 this wanting to experience the, the homecoming that God promises. They know when they get there, there'll be nothing but desolation. There'll be nothing but despair. There'll be nothing but ash on the wind. And the hearers of Isaiah are in that turmoil. They're in that moment. They're in that, that moment of despair where they're going, God, God, why? God, how? God, how could this happen to us? We're God's people. We're God's chosen ones. And yet, their lives have been full of the ash. I also want to look at another illustration of this. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, this isn't a fun story. This isn't a pretty story. This is a hard story. But it's a story that I think helps us see some things. It's found in 2 Samuel 13. Now, I want to give you a little bit of groundwork because we're not going to read the whole chapter. But in 2 Samuel 13, we see the story of Tamar. Tamar is David's daughter, okay, King David. And she has basically a stepbrother named Ammon who falls in love with her. Now, obviously, this is not a good situation. And uh, he's not a good guy. Let's just put it that way, okay? If you want to read the story, it's there in, in 13. But... But he, he basically, with the help of someone, devises a plan. And basically in this plan, he says, um, he tells Tamar that he's not feeling well, that he's sick. And his sister basically says, hey, I will, I will provide a, a meal for you. I'll take care of you. And, and so in her, her kindness, she does that. And so she goes and she grabs the meal and she goes into his room. And when he gets there, or excuse me, when she gets there, um, he rapes her. It's a very horrible story. Very terrible story. And after this happens, the love that he had for her, Scripture says that it literally turns into a hate. But look what it says. 2 Samuel 13, starting with verse number 14. Says, but, or excuse me, 11. Says, but as, he was feeding, as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where do, could I go in my shame? And you would be uh, called one of the greatest fools in Israel. Please just speak to the king about it and he'll let you marry me. But Ammon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Ammon's love turned to hate and he hated her more, even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done. But Ammon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. Now, I want you to I want you to really focus. If you underline stuff or hear this, this is a big one, okay? Listen to what she was doing after this happened. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. Now look at 19. But now, Tamar tore her robes and put ashes on her head and then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Here's the deal. It's in your notes. You need to get this. In Scripture, ashes are a symbol of destruction 
despair, devastation, and death. The ash is basically a symbol of something that has died or something that is dying on the inside. It's very interesting that as we see this concept, we see as we look at the ash, we see in one sense in, in, in the people of Israel, you know, they, they're experiencing these things and the ash and the devastation and the destruction of their home and what they knew, everything that they were accustomed to. They were taken to a foreign land and to, a, to be servants of a foreign king. They couldn't really worship their God the way they wanted to. The temple was destroyed. The, the walls of the city were destroyed. Everything was destroyed. People were dead and in despair. And in Tamar's situation, when she is raped in this situation, happens she takes off she rips away what she normally would be wearing as a as a daughter of the king and instead she puts on ash we see it all throughout scripture where things happen to people and they have this idea and we hear about it a lot of of basically sock sackcloth and ash it's a symbol it's a way people could see that they were hurting that they were in mourning that they were being destroyed and some of them from the inside out The ash that we all deal with is very devastating. And I'll be honest, some of us, we wear that ash on the outside. And some of us, we wear that ash on the inside. For some of us, it's harder to see than others. But I've learned as I've looked at life and as I've gone through life that at times our lives can be absolutely full of ash. Some of those ashes that we deal with are the ash that we have brought upon ourselves by our own actions, by our own sin, by our own mistakes. And sometimes it's the ash of someone else that has done something to us. But there's something very important that you see here. You see, Tamar, when she began to put on the ash, she removed the garment that signified who she really Really was. She began to tear away the garment that says, No, I'm the king's daughter. No, I am holy. No, I am righteous. No, I've done the right things. And instead, tore that away and put on the ash of her shame and her guilt. Even though it was nothing that she had done wrong, it was done to her. And for some of us, some of us, we have, we have had things done to us. Some of us, we have done things to ourselves. And instead of wearing the robes that we should be wearing as God's sons and as God's daughters, because of our shame and our guilt and our sin, we have instead ripped them away and we have instead become a people that wear ash and sackcloth. But here's the deal. There's an exchange. There's an exchange that Jesus came to make. An exchange that Jesus desperately wants to make. An exchange that Jesus came 2,000 years ago to exchange. Look at it again with me in Isaiah 61, the first part of verse 3. This is what it says. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. A joyful blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. That word beauty, it's, it's, it's seen in other places of the Old Testament. And I want to kind of give you this idea. I want you to have this picture because a lot of times we hear the word crown. And, and quite typically, what do we do? We think of, oh, you know, like a crown, a golden crown. That's not what this word translates from, Okay. It's really this idea, and it's a little foreign to us because we don't necessarily do this very often, but, but it's, it's more the idea of like a, like a headdress or, or, or something like that. And what most historians believe is when that word was translated both earlier in Isaiah and also in Exodus, that it was more of a, of a floral type arrangement. It was, it was alive. It was growing. It was green. It was beautiful. And what God wants to do is he wants to take things that are dead and things that are burnt and things that are destroyed and he said he wants to give you something that's alive and something that's great and something that's living and something that's beautiful. He wants to do that exchange in you and in me. And there's a beautiful story of Jesus actually doing this in the Gospels. It's a story that many of us have heard before, but it's such a beautiful story and it's found in John 4. 
It's the story of the woman at the well. And if you don't know the story, let me kind of give you a little bit of background of it. Jesus is traveling at this point in time. And he goes through a place called Samaria. Now Samaria and the Samaritans don't get along with the Jewish people at all. They are not friendly. They don't like each other. In fact, it's strange that Jesus and the disciples are even going through this region. Okay, I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but just know this is not normal. This is not common. Jesus is breaking a lot of rules here, and I love it. And he goes up. And his disciples go on into town to buy food, and Jesus is sitting here at this well. And this woman walks up at a strange time of day. Normally the women would come early, and it's not early. And so Jesus does something very just brilliant. I love it. He looks at her and says, basically, can I have a drink? Can I have a drink? I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Jesus is thirsty. Do you ever think about that? I know this is kind of off topic, but this is the Son of God. This is, he created everything. He created the water and the rivers and the streams and the oceans. And he's thirsty. And he asked this woman, can I have a drink? And in this moment, we see kind of this response that's kind of strange, kind of standoffish a little bit by the woman. And she begins to bring up all the reasons why she shouldn't give him a drink and why all this sort of stuff and all these excuses. And basically, through the process of this interaction, Jesus kind of mentions to her that she's kind of been a five-time failure in marriage. And you go, what? Jesus, really? Like... Could you kind of gone about this maybe a little nicer? But here's the thing. Here's what I think Jesus is wanting to do in this moment. Jesus in his way, in his loving way, is wanting this woman to understand something. He's wanting her to know, you know what? I see your ash. I see the ash. I'm aware of the ash that is in your life. I see it. I see the destruction. I see the devastation. I see the hurt, I see the despair, I see it all. And even though he sees it all, Jesus in in John chapter 4, verse number 10, makes an unbelievable statement to her. Listen to what he says. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you'd ask me and I would give you living water. It isn't amazing that the God who created all water, who happens to be thirsty, now changes everything around and says, listen, you're thirsty too, but you're thirsty in areas you don't even know, and I'll give you something greater than anything that would ever come from a well. And this woman begins to say, well, well, how does this work? And and what does this look like? And Jesus continues now in John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, meaning the water in the well, will become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Did you see the exchange? Did you see Jesus come and say, you know what? You think you know what you need, but I see your ash. And I'm going to give you something for your ash that will literally change everything. If you'll just accept it. You see, here's the thing. This time of year, and there's, it's great, but, but we got lots of names for Jesus, don't we? We had a series a couple years ago where we, we went through kind of those names of Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Father God, Everlasting Fathers in Isaiah. You know, Prince of Peace, all these things. Now listen, I am not inspired. This is not adding to the Bible in any way, shape, or form. But in this series, I'm going to give Jesus a new name. I'm going to give him a new name. And I hope he's not offended. But here's the deal. I, I think this is very true. I think Jesus, his new name, Jesus is the great exchanger. Not only is he the Prince of Peace, but he's the great Exchanger, look, look, it's in your notes. The promise that started with the prophecies of the Old Testament and that was on display in the Gospels is that God is still a God who makes exchanges. 
God is still a God who takes the ash in our life and says, you know what? I'm going to take that ash and I'm going to give you a beautiful crown. I'm going to give you something better. You know what, woman at the well? I know you've been a failure here. I know you've been hurting. The reason that she's there at that time is because she doesn't want to be confronted by the other women in the village. She's hurting. She's alone. She's in pain. And Jesus says, listen, even in that state, if you'll come to me and you'll take this living water, you'll never thirst again. I'll take the ash i'll take the pain i'll take the hurt i'll take it all away and i'll sit i'll give you life and life to the fullest if you'll just accept the exchange if you'll let me take that ash look what it says in isaiah 53 isaiah 53 says my servant grew up in the lord's presence like a tender green shoot like a root in dry ground there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. This him is Jesus. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. But look, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Do you see the exchange? Do you see what Jesus did for you and for me? It wasn't his sin that crushed him. It was mine. It wasn't my brokenness that he needed to fix. Or it was his brokenness he needed to fix. It was mine. And he came to do it. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. We'll hit this later on in the series. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the power in that verse? That verse is telling us that him who was no sin literally became sin. Now here's what that means. You and I, we were the sinners. We were the ones that didn't have the righteousness. Jesus had the righteousness. And yet he came to become sin. Why? So he could exchange our sin and your sin and my sin for God's righteousness. What an unbelievable exchange that Jesus wants to do in you and through you if you'll just let him. And here's the thing I find over and over again. I have people come to me and they basically say this. They say, Aaron, my ash is too great. My ash has built up over the years and it's just too much. My hurt, my pain, what I have done, what I've done to others, what people have done to me, the ash is too much. The destruction is too vast. It's like they look at their life and all they see is just rubble and devastation. This morning we started off with kind of a funny look back. The gifts and the exchange that hopefully can take place. But you need to hear something this morning. No matter how little ash or how great the ash pile is in your life, the good news of the gospel is that there is a gift receipt that is signed with the blood of Jesus. There is nothing too great, there is nothing too big. There is no ash pile and rubble and destruction that is so great that our Jesus won't exchange it. You know, there are times in our lives where we just go, you know what, and going back to the beginning, that ugly sweater is just too ugly. Or we have this situation where, where we, we, do, we feel like, oh, I don't have a gift receipt. I, I'm, I'm stuck with this. I'm stuck with this situation in my life. There's nothing that can be done. 
I don't know about you, but there are places, and, 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 and I don't know, you know, I, I don't want to talk about them necessarily, but there are places that they have a very, very generous return policy. And there are other stores where it's like, man, you got to have the original receipt, you have to have a birth certificate, you have to have a passport, you got to have it all, or they're not giving you nothing. And there's others, it's like you walk in and it's like, hey, listen, somebody bought this for me like three or four years ago. It's been in the closet that long and uh, basically a mouse ate through the sleeve. Can I get my money back? And they're like, yeah, absolutely, here you go. Because of Jesus' blood, because of his death, because of his resurrection, there is, he has a very, hear me here, it's a weird way to put it, he's got a very, 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 very generous return policy. He'll take you any way, any time, in any condition. He wants you that bad. He came for you. But listen, I want you to hear this. I want you to know there's some things. And listen, I, I stopped at 14. I could, have been, I could have still been writing in my office. But I want you to hear this. And I believe that these, are, these 14 are special for today. For people that are here and that are online. But you need to hear this. Listen, look what Jesus exchanges. Look what he exchanges. He exchanges sickness for health. For healing. He, he, he exchanges despair for hope. Hate for love. Wickedness for holiness. Aimlessness for purpose. Uncertainty for wisdom. Pride for humility. Mourning for joy. Chaos for peace. Brokenness for wholeness. Addiction for freedom. Sin for forgiveness. Loneliness for his presence. And weakness for strength. Our God is still a God that does exchanges. Our God is still a God that comes and says, you know what? I know there's ash. I know there are things in your heart and in your life that are just weighing you down. You've, you, you've taken off, hear me here, you've taken off the robes that are rightfully yours to wear as my son or my daughter. And you've torn them away. And you've instead put ash on your head. And this morning, you need to hear this. You need to understand this. You're not here by accident. You're not online by accident. You need to understand that God says the time of your ash, the time of your sackcloth needs to come to an end. You were made. You were created. You are mine. I love you. And once again, you need to put back on the robes that are rightfully yours because of you have accepted me as your Lord and Savior because of what Jesus has done for you. The church as a whole has walked around in sackcloth and ashes for far too long. We have looked at our world, we have looked at our Jerusalems, and we've seen nothing but ash and despair and brokenness and broken down walls. We've looked at our families and our marriages and our relationships, and we've seen nothing but destruction and despair and ash. And instead of saying, no, we can stand against that. No, God can exchange the ash for a crown of beauty and a crown of righteousness. He can take away the mourning and the hurt and instead bring us to a place of praise and joy. Instead, no, we have been a people that have sat down in the dirt and put ash on our heads and ripped our clothes and said, God, you can't do it. But a baby was born 2,000 years ago in a filthy barn to say, you're wrong. I can take your ash and I can give you beauty for your ashes. I can take your hurt and I can bring you joy. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. You need to get this and hear this. Ash is dangerous. Okay, I don't know if you've ever gone camping. We have a, a fire pit, which are, is great, you know. We'll build us a fire. And, and you know what I've learned? Like, if you handle that ash, you can get burnt, and you can get burnt bad, and you can get burnt quick. 
You know what I've found in my life and honestly the lives of others that I've talked to over the years? We get in a lot of trouble when we try to deal with our own ash. We get burnt real fast. Let me help you with something. Let me, let me. Jesus said that he would exchange. He's the great exchanger. You're not. And a lot of times we think that we can fix in our hearts the ash. And I'm just here to tell you, you're never going to be able to fix it. You were never created to fix it. Listen, I've said this so many times. This is not a defect in you. This is how God created you and me. Why? Because we need him. It draws us to him. It says basically, listen, when you go down and you start to get in the ash, listen, here's what happens with ash. You think it's fine. Oh, it's okay. You look at it, nothing's glowing, everything's fine, everything's good. And then you go down in there and you start to get some of it. To, 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 and guess what's underneath? Some really, really hot stuff. And you burn your hands. You burn your heart. One of the reasons I believe sometimes bitterness can grow so much in our hearts and in our lives is because instead of letting Jesus deal with the ash in our hearts, we try to deal with it, and instead we burn things, and we burn our hearts. And it keeps us further away from what God wants to do in us and through us. So here's the deal. If you got some ash, and here's, here's the dirty little secret. You ready? Okay? We're family. We're honest with each other. Every single one of you in this room has some ash in their life. Every single one of us. Guess who's in this room? Woo! We all got some ash. Now, some of us may have a lot of ash, and some of us may have a little. But life's hard. And there's an enemy out there who's wanting to kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to bring some ash in your heart and in your life. And today, Jesus is saying, listen, I got a gift received. You don't have to walk around like that anymore. Exchange it. Exchange it. Put away the ash. Put away the sackcloth. And here's the thing that I just love about Jesus. He does this in so many ways, in so many different times. He doesn't just say, put it away. He says, this is now what I want you to put on. He wants you to take off the ash. He will exchange it. And for the ash, he's going to give you Something to wear on your head. It's interesting that we see it in Isaiah 61, this idea of this crown. You know what that was for? You know why people would wear that? It was a couple reasons. One, it was celebrative. It was to celebrate who they were and who God was and what God was doing in their life. But even more so with the idea of Tamar, it was a symbol of their identity. When ash comes into your heart and into your life, one of the first things it destroys, one of the first things it goes after is who you really are. You look at the story of Job. And in the story of Job, all these things begin to happen. And what's what he does? He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He goes into a state of mourning and a state of despair and a state of hopelessness. Now, here's the thing. Even though there have been some horrible things, even though there's been some ash that was in his life, you still have to see when God talks about him, when God sees him, God literally says, have you noticed my servant Job? There's none like him. Now here's Job, he's hurting, he's in despair. He, instead of acknowledging who he really is, he says, I'm in this place of mourning. But God looks at him and says, Job, you're wrong. That's not who you are. And it takes a lot of verses in Job. But at the end, he finally understands that even though there are hard things that happen in our lives, even though there's ash, even then, God was into exchanges. So let's do this. Let's close our eyes. Let's take a moment to focus. Because I truly believe that there are some individuals in this room and online that are not just dealing with ash. As I said earlier, I think that's all of us. All of us have some ash we need to exchange this morning. But I think there's especially some people here 
And I'm not saying at all that things happen to you like happened to Tamar, which is a terrible, horrible, horrible story. But like Tamar, you have removed the robe that signifies who you are in Christ. And now have basically said, I am no longer a child of God. I'm no longer loved by God. I'm no longer made right in His presence. I am, I am in a state of destruction, despair, and devastation. And for you especially this morning, you need to know that God has brought you here or online because He wants you to hear this and know that He will exchange your ash for beauty. He will exchange your hurt for healing. And I know for some of you, there's some massive, massive hurts. And you think in your own mind you have every right and reason to be in a place of mourning and destruction. But here's the deal. We talked about it earlier. We talked about communion. There was an old covenant and there was a new covenant. And in Luke 4, as Jesus began his ministry, which would ultimately end in his death, burial, and resurrection, what he was saying is simply this. I've come to exchange it all. I've come. You don't have to live that way anymore. But here's the deal. I have never in my life had a store come to my house, knock on my door, and say, please, I, I heard you have some things you want to exchange, and we're here to exchange them. I had to go to the store, and I had to present my ash and my receipt. I don't know what your ash is, but I do know what your receipt is. And it is the blood and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy and the love of our Jesus. You present that and you are going to be blown away by the unbelievable exchange policy of our God. Because he's going to take your sin that was as red as crimson and make it white as snow. He can do it. He's always been able to do it. And he will always do it for us. So, Father, we come to you right now. And, God, I know and I believe with everything in me that every single one of us has got some ash. There may be, it may be a little, it may be just, just a little bit. It may be a lot. But, Father, here's the deal. You, you came that you would give us life and abundant, full life. I understand that as this. We don't have to have a single shred of ash in our lives. It doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what has been done to us. God, your grace, your goodness, your forgiveness is greater than it all. And you can come and you can take it away. So, Father, for us that have some ash in our hearts and in our lives, we are here together as a family and we're saying, God, I'm ready to make an exchange. I'm ready to give you my ash. And instead of that ash, I want some beauty. I want some joy. I want some life. I don't want to live in death anymore. And Father, I know right now, as if individuals are doing that, an exchange is taking place. And we thank you for it. We thank you for it. And God, we thank you that no matter how much ash can come in our hearts and in our lives, we know that we can always go back to you and exchange it over and over again. But Father, I especially want to pray for those that not only have some ash in their hearts and in their lives, but they've taken off the robe of who they really are. 
It could be things they've done. It could be things that have done, been done to them. But like Tamar, they have taken off the robe, the beautiful robe, that said, this is the daughter of the king. This is the son of the king. And instead, have put ash on their heads and sackcloth on their bodies. And Father, for them, Father, I pray especially this morning that they would know they were not created to wear sackcloth and ash. That Jesus, you have come to make an exchange. They don't have to wait till Christmas. They don't have to wait till the day after Christmas to make their exchanges. God, right now, in this moment, they can take off which was never meant to be on their body and instead put on the righteousness of you. Because what you have done. And Father, for those that are there, those that are hurting, those that have so much ash, exchange it all in this moment. And give them beauty, a crown of beauty for their ashes. Jesus, thank you that you are the great exchanger. Thank you that you are so good and that you love to come and take the ugly, destructive, despair-bringing things in our lives and instead... Give us beauty. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Now, before we go, anytime there's a message like this, I like to kind of say, okay, let's talk just for a minute. Because what I've learned in my own life is as soon as I get some ash removed, there's an enemy who wants to kill, steal, destroy, and bring some more. Okay? And maybe this week you may experience some of those things. I'm not saying, I'm not, oh, horrible thing. No, 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 no. Just, just some ash maybe trying to come back in. Okay? The secret here and what we need to understand, what God wants us to get is not that because we're followers of Jesus, there will be no ash. There's going to be some ash. Sometimes a lot of ash. What we have to understand is any time it comes, we can exchange it for something beautiful. So listen, if it comes this week or it comes next week, okay, take it to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I listen, I know I exchanged it on Sunday. I know I exchanged it on Monday. But you know what? Here I am, and Wednesday hit, and some ash hit. I'm ready to exchange it. And you know what? Jesus will be like, bring it on. I'm the great exchanger. I can take it, and I'll exchange it all. So let him do it. Let him do it. All right? Father, we love you, and we thank you. You're so good, and we thank you so much for this time and this morning together. We love you. Thank you for coming and being the God that comes that exchanges our death for life, our sin for forgiveness. You're so good and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen, amen. Listen, there's a lot going on. Sign-up sheets out there. We're going to have lunch at Jason's Deli. I, I hope you're able to join us. Make sure you're aware of all that's going on. I love you. Have a great week and Merry Christmas.